0: Good morning, everyone. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Dave. I, I have the privilege this morning of basically wrapping up this series we've been doing on uh, eternity, and it's been quite a journey. Um, definitely, it's something we don't normally speak about in church, looking at eternity and what are the implications. And we started the series looking at, you know, what is the meaning of eternity? How should it motivate us? We looked at the fact that um, basically uh, each person, each person has a a responsibility to get ready for eternity and prepare themselves. Uh, Also, the fact is we're going to have a judgment day, and God is going to look at what we've done, the way we received Jesus, but also look at our lives to see the acts that we've done in obedience. And then Ricky spoke last week about rewards. And the fact is that God wants to reward us for our faithfulness, which is something awesome to look to. So just before I get into the topic for this week, I had a, a conversation with, with some guys this week, I think it was on about Wednesday, these guys from DRC, uh, and they were telling me a little bit about their journey in South Africa. Um, and if you haven't noticed, I'm sure you, you know everyone's aware that South Africa, we've got many guys who've come in. Kind of, come into the country basically as as temporary residents, people that, you know, are, have refugee status, and, you know, obviously they've come to South Africa fleeing a, a bad war situation or financial uh, situation in their countries, and they come to South Africa. But I was just chatting to these guys, and really, you know, just to start off, something a little bit off topic, but I just realized as a church, you know, and as Christians, what a responsibility we have by by God, to make sure that people that come into our country as refugees, a lot of these guys are very vulnerable because they have temporary refugee status. And that means a lot of the time they can't work. They don't have a way to provide for themselves. They're waiting for proper papers. And oftentimes people uh, take advantage of that and use these guys. And they're literally working for nothing. And, you know, I, I just, a lot of the time also, you know, people that come in, uh, from other countries, they're almost treated like lesser citizens. And, you know, when I look at the Old Testament and I see how God told the Israelites to to treat the foreigners, that we should, you know, be, treat them with a blessing, that we make sure that they get justice. It really put on my heart, you know, as a church, the gospel has to go beyond the walls, And it has to change our society. And if we see people that are vulnerable, we need to make sure that they're treated with justice. But anyway, that's my little rant. But the the main reason I wanted to bring that up is, you know, when you're a temporary resident, I was chatting to these guys. And without fail, one thing I noticed about them, although they're here in South Africa, their heart is really back home. And if they could, I spoke to the guys and I said, would, you know, if you could and things were right, would you go back home? And he said, I'd go tomorrow. And the thing was about their homeland is their heart's there. And ultimately, they don't really want to establish their home here, although they're here out of necessity, but ultimately, they'd like to go back home and establish their homes there. And what we're going to be speaking about this morning is the topic of being temporary residents. And we, in the same way, you know, the earth is not our, you know, we've heard from this whole series on eternity, the earth is not our final home. But we have a home in heaven that the Lord has been preparing for us. And that's really what I want to speak to to us about today and and, and talk about that and and get into it. But anyway, I'm getting lots of coughing and and, and blank stares, so I'm going to get struck into it. But the, you'll like my illustration later, don't worry. Um, But I want to speak to you this morning about a guy in the, in the Bible I'm sure you've heard lots of people preach about, which is a guy called Medus. Does anyone, has anyone heard of Medus in the Bible? No one? Anyone? Okay. The thing is, Medus is actually mentioned in the Bible three times. Sorry? Yes, yes, yes. So he's, he's, he's mentioned three times. The first time he's mentioned is in one of the letters that Paul writes To the church of Colossians, and he says, This guy Midas, he also sends his greeting. The second time that Midas is mentioned in the in the Bible is basically in the letter of Philemon. And basically it says that um, Paul calls this guy Medus, he calls him one of his fellow workers. Now if you're called a fellow worker, I mean, you can imagine Apostle Paul. He was quite a radical guy. This was a guy that was going out. He was changing the world. He was facing crazy opposition. He was seeing the most amazing miracles happen, and he was changing the world, and he was planting churches across Asia, you know, doing incredible things. Uh, well, Asia Minor. And his, you know, this guy, Medus, was basically one of his co-workers. So he was you know, we don't know if he was in full-time ministry or if he was a business guy, but Paul called him a fellow worker, so we must assume that he was doing amazing stuff, and he was part of this amazing team that was changing the world. Now, if we do our investigation a little bit more, and it's quite random that God pointed this out uh, to me, but I'll I'll get to the point just now, but... We suddenly look at the third instance where Medus is mentioned, and it's in two Timothy, verse four, uh, 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 two Timothy chapter four, verse ten. And what it basically says is that this is a time when Paul was in real trouble. He was in jail; he'd been incarcerated, and um, he basically says to Timothy in the letter, he says, "Timothy, please come to me soon." And the reason he gives for this. Desperation as he says, for Demas, I've been saying the name wrong the whole time. Oh, it's my notes, sorry. Um, um, For Medus, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So, something happened in this guy's life that he was such a, he was one of Paul's fellow workers. But yet, at the time, when the Apostle Paul needed him the most, when he needed the encouragement, when he was at the end of his ministry, he basically got deserted um, by Demas. Uh, uh, I'm confused with the name now. Demas. The, the, the question is, practice your sermon with your wife first on the name. So, no wonder no one's heard of Medas. Has anyone heard of Demas? Yes, yes. Don't lie now. I know. Okay. So so now we have Demas, right? (laughs) He's the same guy as Midas, I promise. So. I am going to get Jesus' name right, though, I promise. So we have Demas and. He, he is basically has this amazing ministry. He's part of this group of amazing people changing the world. But something goes wrong. He deserts Paul in his time of most need. And he deserts him, as Paul said, because in, he says that Demas is in love with this present world. It doesn't necessarily say that Demas lost his faith. But it seems like he lost his track. He was doing the most amazing work, called to the most amazing thing. But then he lost his track and he deserted those who, who should have trusted him the most. And there's another place in the Bible where it talks about this love for the world. And you'll see where I'm going as we talk about eternity. But I want to read for you now from 1 John 2, uh, verses 15-15. Uh, to 17, and you can bring it up on screen, and this is what the scriptures tell us, they say, do not love the world or the things of the world, if he loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the, the desires of the flesh um, and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So what is this scripture saying? Is it saying that the world is bad and that we can't like anything in the world? It's saying, okay, well, I I love going surfing or I love doing this. Is it saying that? I don't believe it is. It's not saying that we should renounce the world totally. It's not saying that that we should enjoy the world. But what it talks about is things in the world that can take us away from the love of the Father and the love of seeing his kingdom come. And these things are threefold. The first is the desire of the flesh. What the desire of the flesh is talking about is things like comfort, enjoying things. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing something we love doing and relaxing and eating great food. But I believe when that thing becomes the focus of your life and becomes more important than God to you, then it becomes, it takes us away from the love of the Father. And it takes us into sin. The second thing it talks about that creates this love of the world is the desire of the eyes. Now, I don't believe, you know, this desire of the eyes, it's talking about, you know, our desire to have things. We see things and we want things. And there's nothing wrong with that. We, we see a nice car and we think, wow, I'd love to drive that. We see a beautiful home. We have something and we, we even ask God to help us with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I believe when the desire of the eyes becomes the focus of our life, when all we're around here is to get X, Y house, this car, this, you know, these possessions, then it takes us away from the love of the Father. The last thing is the pride of life. It talks about the pride of life. Now, the pride of life is basically when we have a certain thing that we want to attain in life. And there's nothing wrong with being excellent at your job. There's nothing wrong with becoming the CEO of a company. It's good. You're rewarded for your hard work. You're rewarded for being excellent. But if that becomes the focus of your life, getting a certain position or whatever, or people to acknowledge who you are, if that becomes the focus of life, then I believe that that will take you away from the love of the Father. And this is this is not always an easy thing to hear, but the reason I believe that the Lord gave me uh, the story of Demas, and thank goodness I'm getting that name right. <laughs> and and it's broken the tension a bit, but the... The name that Demas is, God wanted to show me this guy's life. Someone that was doing so well, that was so in there. But these things, the love, you know, love of the world became his priority. And it meant that what he was called to do was sacrificed. And they actually reckon that he left Paul in the lurch, is kind of the best way to translate it. He left Paul in the lurch and he went home to Thessalonica. And they they reckon that Thessalonica was uh, where this guy was from, where this Demas was from. And a lot of what we can say is that maybe, we don't know exactly, but maybe it was the fact that Paul and his his ministry partners were facing so much persecution that it was difficult. And he thought, maybe it's easier if I just go home and live a normal life. We don't know if his faith survived and whether he, he kept on serving the Lord. But one thing is certain, what God had called him to do, he didn't fulfill because he, you know, we see that he deserted Paul. What we realize from the story of Demas, I keep on wanting to say midas <laughs> But what we realize from Demas is that no one is immune. We all have to watch out for this. And I believe God wanted to speak to us this morning Because oftentimes what happens is when you get born again and when you have an encounter with God, you know, it feels like the world turns on its head. And you feel like it's so clear and you see exactly, you know, how important it is to receive the Lord. But then as time goes on, there's pressure from the world to conform. There's pressure to conform. And following Jesus is not easy. If you want to really stand for Jesus, you face opposition. Opposition and you serve the Lord, it's not easy living in faith. And these things wear us down. And I I believe that God really wants to speak to us today to say that he doesn't want us to fall into the trap of falling in love with the world. And the reason for this is he has something better for us. What Jesus said, if you look at John 14, verse 3, and you can bring it up, On the screen there, if you could. Is that Jesus said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus is preparing a place for us. If you read Revelation, it talks about this place where we won't even need the sun because he will be our light. And in his presence is everlasting joy. It is going to be so much better than this world. And I'm not saying that everything in this world is bad. But what God has planned for us is a world that is not touched by the fallenness that we see around us. Neil was speaking about the fallenness, the corruption in the world. And God wants us to look forward to a place that will be of perfection, where he will be at the center And if we settle for something less, we're gonna regret it one day when we go there because we're gonna say, this is what he had for us. But yet we fell in love with something that was way less than what he had for us. I just wanna go to our main scripture now and I'm just gonna pray for us quickly. Um, So yeah, we're gonna be looking at Matthew verse six, uh, Matthew chapter six, verses nineteen to twenty-one, and I just want to pray for us quickly. Father, I just thank you with this message, God. God, that you have an amazing place for us, and we wanna just we wanna see what you're trying to do, and God, we wanna be part of your kingdom, and let us never lose fact. Of the, of the you know let us never lose the fact that you have are preparing an amazing place for us so Jesus I just thank you for that and I thank you for speaking to us this morning in Jesus name amen so if you guys could turn with me now to Matthew 6 verses 19 to 21 and I'm going to read also it's going to be up on the screen So yeah, it's Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. And it says uh, this. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and, and rust can destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there also, uh, there your heart will be also. I'm just going to read it again. Do not lay up for yourself treasures in, on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A lot of the time we use the scripture to say, well, if you give enough to the church, you're gonna start liking the church. (laughs) You guys with me on this? We almost say where your treasure is, your heart is gonna be also. But I believe this scripture is basically asking us the question, it's not saying about where we give to. It's asking us where our hearts are at. The reason I say this is, I'm sure you guys have heard that popular saying, home is where the heart is. You've heard that, right? What this passage of Scripture asks is if, the, if you see the world as your home and your heart is esta- here to establish the world as your, as your primary home, you're going to store up treasures here. And that's where most of your focus is going to be. But on the other hand is if you see heaven as your home, that is where you're going to establish and where you're going to store your treasures up. So this passage is asking the question this morning is where is your heart at and where do you consider your final home? As I mentioned, there's a pressure in this world to conform you might think that South Africa is a pretty Christian-friendly environment. But I tell you, South Africa, as all around the world, is pretty, is pretty Christian-friendly as long as Christianity is cultural Christianity. Where what you do is you come in on a Sunday morning, you sing all the lovely songs, you, you, you know, nothing that there's wrong with songs, and, you know, it's awesome to worship the Lord, but you come to church Say, God, God, we're sorry for everything we did, but then you go back and you live exactly as the world lives. But when you start living living a life that is distinctive and different from the world, it brings conviction to the world. I think I'm losing batteries here. At the bottom, okay. So, if you live a life that is different from the world, it brings conviction to others, and that's going to bring opposition. But there's a pressure on us to conform because we live in a culture where it says to us, live the best possible life now, do everything possible to maximize the quality of life on earth. And as I say, there's nothing wrong with these things. But if these things become the focus of our lives, having nice things, relaxing, having this awesome thing, or or attaining a certain position or approval from people, if these things become the focus of our lives rather than pursuing Jesus and his kingdom, that's when the love of the world comes in. And we start to, in our lives, lose focus. Sorry, guys, it's not an easy message today, but it's going to get lighter, I promise. What oftentimes happens is it's not easy because we have to make a living in the world. We have to make friends in the world. And naturally, there's a part of us that, that you know, feels this pull towards a thing. I often think, you know, I would have loved to have not served the Lord in certain capacities and just gone for it myself and, you know, maybe, you know, tried to do other things. But keeping God at the center, I believe, is crucial to being focused The Bible asks a question, and it's not up on the slides, but I want to ask you guys, I suppose the question I want to ask this morning is how can we stay focused? What I love about Jesus is Jesus understands what we need, and he's not just a taskmaster. He understands what our desires are as well. And he made a promise. He said, if you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. So he's not calling you to renounce things, but he's asking you to put him first. And he will bring all these things to you. And we can pursue peace, we can pursue joy by chasing after things alone. And I promise you the joy that Jesus brings, the freedom that Jesus brings, the peace that Jesus brings will be better than all these. And that's a promise he makes, which is good news. The question though, coming back to that question is, How can we stay focused? How can we not fall into the trap of falling in love with the world and letting that take our focus and steal the call that God has in our lives? How can we steer clear of that? And the Bible gives us quite a nice uh, bit of scripture. It's not on there, but if you could turn with me to Matthew 6, verse 22 to 24. So Matthew verse six twenty-two to 24 says this. It says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Some versions say money. And again, it's not saying that money is bad in any senses. Money is a very good thing. It is a great blessing when used correctly. But this is one of the most confusing bits of Scripture. This idea of, what does it mean that your eye is healthy? And, I want to quickly show you guys a demonstration of what this means. But I just want to ask you quickly, do we have any golfers in the audience here? How many people do we have that play golf? Is that all the golfers we have? Okay, we've got one golfer. Okay, obviously golf's not very popular in this church, but I, I wanted to show an illustration to... To quickly show something like this. And I'm, I'm going to need some help from Andre at the back there. So if Andre, if you could just stand up and go into the middle. And Andre, as you see, he's got a little cup over there. Don't worry. I know what you're thinking. Um, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's, a, um, it's a plastic cup, so it's not going to break when the golf ball gets that side so thank you Neil so what the scripture is saying that if we want to stay keep ourselves clear from falling in love with the world and losing focus on what Jesus wants we need an eye that is single so I want to show you guys exactly what this means just in a practical way because I know the lamp and the eye of the body is quite a confusing one and so, I, I think that's a practical one. So, what I'm going to do to demonstrate this principle is I'm going to hit this golf ball into the cup that, that's, that Andre is holding. So, okay. So, I I actually played in a golf day the other day. And I know that, you know, I'm I'm quite a proficient player now. So, just to show off, what I'm going to do is I'm actually not going to watch the ball. So, I'm going to look up over there. I don't need to watch the ball. I'm going to look over there and I'm going to hit it into the thing. Is it? Oh, there we go. To tell you the truth, even if I was watching the ball... I wouldn't hit Andre at all. I think um, Fred would have to do some dental surgery on Neil. The p- <laughs> yeah, yeah, Neil or Joe, one of the two, or or maybe if I, I if I get a good swing, in, it might hit uh, Paul in the fourth row. The point is that what the scripture is saying is that our eye needs to be focused, and that word for healthy actually sometimes means. The eye is singly focused. Now, if you play a round of golf and you never watch the ball, you're going to have a very dark day. Everything you do that day is going to be dark because I guarantee you, you're not going to hit everything, anything right. And that's what the scripture is talking about. And I'll come back to our illustration just now, but this Scripture is basically talking about the fact that when our heart is established in the fact that heaven is our home, and we know that whatever we do on earth will make an eternal difference, it means that our eye is focused. And with the eye being focused, is, is I believe what this, this passage is telling us is, is saying keep your eye on the ball. As soon as, you know, any golfer, and Nick, who's, who's quite a golfer, a uh, good golf coach in this church, will tell you. What does they tell you when you're learning golf is keep your eye on the ball. The most important thing when you're playing is to keep your eye on the ball. And what Jesus is teaching in this thing is he's saying, where is your heart? Where's your heart? Does it know that, that, that you know, ultimately your home is in heaven? And do you keep your eye solely focused on that fact because in the same way like golf there's going to be total darkness on the golf course and everyone's going to shout at you when you take your eyes off the ball you're going to be hitting all over the show and it's going to be a disastrous day and the same way when we keep when we take our eyes off the eternal fact of God and his kingdom everything we do becomes marred When we keep our eyes on the ball, and we keep our eyes focused on what Jesus has told us about eternity, it does a couple of things. The first thing it does is it gives us a resilience against conforming to what the world does. I remember the one time when I was uh, living in London, and I'd often travel back to South Africa and go there uh, again, and I, the one time I got off a plane, and I was quite well integrated in London, you know, i Saw myself as a bit of a sort of semi-South African with friends from all over the world. But I saw this guy get, up, get off the plane from Cape Town. And he got out and he literally was Mr. South Africa walking. He had a Springbok jersey, which after, after yesterday probably wouldn't have. But he had a, he had felt skins on. I think he had like a, a bush cap. He, he looked like South Africa, you know, South Africa personified. I guarantee you, he went to wherever he was staying and he had a bra. <laughs> but the thing about him was he was so concerned about maintaining his identity. He thought, well, the best thing I can do with getting off the plane is to have my Springbok jersey on. No one will know that I'm not a South African. But we see this resilience with people that have gone overseas, with expats. The fact that South African shops have sprung up across the UK in different places. Brides have sprung up everywhere. And I'm not going to mention barbecues again, because I was told by a guy from London last time I was in big trouble, saying that they could barbecue. But the point I'm making today is that when, when our heart is, is so established in who we are, as, you know, we, we are exiles in this world, we are citizens in heaven, rather than being conformed to the world, we will actually influence the world. The second part about it is that we're not just called to survive the Christian life and get to the end. We're actually called to make a difference and we're called to bring the reality of heaven into this world by faith. When your heart is not established, when you're almost hanging on and your heart is not established in heaven and with the Lord, you don't lay hold of so much that is given to us. The Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, verse 5, verse 20, um, sorry, chapter 5, verse 20, it says that we are Christ's ambassadors. And this means that we are so established in who God is and and, and where our home is that we actually influence this world and we represent Jesus in this world. And if you know, as a kid, I always used to think the coolest thing ever would be to be an ambassador. Because... Um, I don't know if you've seen that really bad Lethal Weapon 2 movie. Has anyone seen that? But in that movie, anyway, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, they're the cops. And the baddies of the movie are these people from the South African consulate. Um, and they've got the worst South African accent you've ever seen. Uh, this is a really bad 80s movie, but, you know, you cringe every time he talks. Hello. Um, but what, what, what I had to, what, what I, hello uh, there. But what I had to laugh about is his surname's Kruger. And of course, that's my wife's family's surname. So I said, you see, the baddie is Kruger. <laughs> but one of the things that happens is they catch these guys from the South African consulate. Uh, they catch these guys red-handed. And they, as cops, they start arresting them. And these guys turn around and they say, well, actually, we're diplomats in this really bad... We're diplomats. <laughs> And they can't do a thing about it because the thing with an ambassador or someone who's a diplomat is they are, not under, you know, they, they are not able to be persecuted like parking tickets. They can't get parking tickets. They are not actually allowed to be arrested. And what's amazing about this is everyone in this world has to conform because the devil has power over their lives. But as the children of God, we don't. Because we've been set free. So that's what it says in 2 Peter 2 verse 11. Chapter 2 verse 11. It says that as exiles and aliens in this world escape the corruption, the desires of the flesh to live godly lives. And that's the awesome thing is that we can escape this. We can do this and live free. The other thing about it, being an ambassador, is that we have a diplomatic mission. We have access to authority as ambassadors. And when your heart is established in heaven, you're no longer trying to bring the world into the church. But you're trying to take heaven out into the earth. And whether it's praying for the sick, whether it's casting out demons, whether it's telling people about the gospel... You are bringing the reality of heaven into people's lives and saying that heaven is a real place. God and his kingdom is real. And you are radically changing lives. And that's what we're called to do. The fact is that we're called to say that we know where our home is and we will not fall in love with this world. But we will be so established in who we are and where we're going that we're going to change this world as we go along. And in our time here, we're called to bring God's righteousness, God's peace, God's joy. That is what the kingdom of God is. So thankfully, I'm, I'm almost at an end now. But I, I, I want to remind you guys of one thing. Andre, no, I'm joking. I'm not going to. I, I, someone else can can hold the cup. <laughs> Just joking. I think I think with our lives, if you know, I know we don't have many golfers, but if with our lives we could imagine it, in the fact that it's like hitting a golf swing, and I guarantee you that when we swing, God is through His Holy Spirit, He is going to give us power to swing, and He's going to guide our ball. And he wants us, that's what it says in Ephesians 2.10, that God wants us to work in the good works he's prepared in advance for us. And he's going to help us to do amazing things. Our job, though, is to keep our eye on the ball. And as long as we keep our eye on the ball, we won't fail. But to be honest, the devil is trying to distract us. He's trying to call us away. And, you know, there's nothing worse... Last thing was, uh, you know, is anyone, does anyone here like Leon Schuster? But, yeah, interesting character. But I, I remember one of the funniest things of his I saw was when guys were taking golf shots. And what he would do is he'd hide in the bush. And he'd have one of those hooters. And he'd, every, every time when they were just about to hit the ball, he'd basically go. And then the guys were totally hit it wrong or they'd miss. I believe the devil is doing the same thing with us. Maybe not with a hooter, but he's using the things of that world. He's using those things to distract us. And where God is asking us to keep the focus and he will do the rest. Um, He's asking us to keep our eyes fixed on the ball. And that's what it means to be single eyed. So I just wanna pray for us today. And maybe you feel that um, maybe you feel that you have maybe let it down a bit. I can definitely say for my own life that I haven't always watched the ball. A lot of the time I've got distracted. But I believe that God wants us to be focused on the swing as we're doing it, On be focused on his kingdom and be focused on heaven and bring heaven here to earth. Um, and... God is going to help us to do that. I think it's just a a willingness from our side to say, yes, Lord. You know, we want to live like this and and we want to keep our eyes fixed in the right place. So I'm just going to pray for us today and I just want to ask that you close your eyes with me. So Father, I just thank you today uh, for your words, Lord. We want to keep our eyes solely fixed on you and your kingdom. And we know that, You know, by being focused in this world on what you want, we know, God, that we're going to see your kingdom come and we're going to fulfill the good works you've called us to do. So I just pray for that now, God. I thank you that, you know, Lord, you just where we haven't, where we've missed the mark, where we have had our eyes focused elsewhere and we've let our gaze go elsewhere, that, Lord, thank you that we bring it back to the right place, to the fact that you have prepared a home for us, I thank you that we can bring our focus back to that. Um, And I thank you for for just what you're going to do through this church. Thank you that we know that your eternal kingdom is going to be amazing. But with this journey that we're running, thank you, Lord, that we're going to keep focused in the right place. And you're going to empower us to do that. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.